Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newham, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. Well, we hear a lot about breast implants these days, good and sometimes not so good. It makes for some difficult decision-making when people are interested in breast enhancement to improve volume or shape, or breast rejuvenation for restoration of what once was. But these days, some wonderful new options have opened up for those who are implant shy and seeking to avoid an implant, and also for those who already have implants but wish to remove them. Time and again, you will find that there is nothing like the creativity of a plastic surgeon when it comes to problem solving, and Dr. Bradley Calabrese is no exception. In our interview, he sheds light on new techniques for accomplishing these goals without implants, something that wasn't really conceived of a couple of short decades ago. It's surprising what can be done. Here we go. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Bradley Calabrese, a very accomplished board-certified plastic surgeon and founder of Calo Aesthetics Plastic Surgery in the Louisville, Kentucky area. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here with you and talk about some of my favorite subjects. Wonderful. As we begin, could you please tell us the scope of your practice, uh, what it looks like, and how you got into breast surgery? A couple days ago, I actually um, celebrated my 25th year in practice here in Louisville, Kentucky. Congrats. Um, yeah, thank you. So I've been doing it a long time, and but before I was doing this, I um, had done a breast fellowship with Pat Maxwell in Nashville. Excellent. So, and that was a, you know, cosmetics fellowship at breast, especially specializing in breast and breast reconstruction, as well as aesthetics. So I think when I went into practice, you know, I had a fair amount of experience and um, knowledge bases related to breast surgery um, at a very high level because Pat was so well known for um, all that he did for um, breast surgery and developing implants. Absolutely. So I came from that place when I started practice back in 1997. And so through the years, I've developed a practice, but I'm still just a plastic surgeon. So um, about 40% of my practice is breast surgery, about 30% facial rejuvenation, and 30% body contouring. So I still kind of do what a plastic surgeon does. The older I am, the more facial aesthetics I actually do um, comparatively. But I would say compared to most practices, I still do a ton of breast surgery and I do a ton of of more challenging revisional aesthetic breast surgeries. I don't do reconstruction anymore, but I surely did. But I, I really believe that what we do for reconstruction in very many ways is exactly what we do for a challenging aesthetic breast cases. The same principles, the same products um, we actually use. There have been a lot of concerns about breast implants lately, and I recently actually recorded an episode of Plastic Surgery Decoded with Patricia McGuire discussing those. Yet, 
implants are still very much important in breast rejuvenation as, as well as breast reconstruction after cancer. And I'd love to talk with you about what can be done towards the goal of improving aesthetic breast appearance without an implant. Now, you have a fair amount of expertise in this realm, and I think many people would be surprised about what can now be accomplished. And you're exactly right. Um, we do come from a place where we've known for years that breast implants have been foundational to aesthetic breast surgery and reconstructive breast surgery. Not that we don't have other options, but surely breast implants had a, a large place at the table um, as it relates to that. Absolutely. And over every clinical trial, and you know, patient satisfaction has been like 98%. It's extremely high, especially with aesthetic breast surgery. So breast implants have done a lot to help women in so many ways, whether it was for breast cancer or for post-pregnancy, self-esteem, et cetera. So there's a real place. But as you mentioned, and as I'm sure you talked about with um, Dr. McGuire, you know, that there's um, been some hesitancy towards breast implants these days. Um, the challenges with some patients who are worried about systemic illnesses related to their breast implants that are in place, both in saline implants and silicone implants, and both in reconstructive breasts as well as in aesthetic breasts. But the vast majority of my patients aren't having problems with their implants. And matter of fact, they would kill me if I tried to take their implants away from them. <laughs> but there is a subset of patients who have concerns, right? Sure. And so for me, because of that hesitancy, I'm faced with a lot more patients who are thinking about how can I still improve my breasts, um, but potentially avoid using breast implants in the uncertainty. Then I have the other set of patients who already, already have breast implants who are saying, what else can I do? Could I remove my implants and can I actually make my breasts still good and beautiful and be proud of them? And so we walk through, I probably deal with a pa one of those categories of patients every day I'm in practice. So, oh, yeah. and, and probably multiple patients every day I'm in practice for that. Um, so what I found is that I've become more comfortable in doing these types of procedures and not using implants um, because of my experience with explantation and taking implants out and reconstruction that now, mm -hmm. um, whereas when I published on breast lifting back um, in 2013, a very large series, about 70 to 75% of my patients and when I did a breast lift, I put implants in. Mm -hmm. Now, probably less than half of my patients, I put implants in when I do a breast lift. So I've found other ways to rejuvenate the breast. Big shift. Without, yeah, because I think it was because I was more confident in what I could shape and what I could do. I was more than willing to offer that to my patients. And, nice. um, and they liked that. So the concept of using breast lifts with fat grafting, with auto augmentation techniques to actually move some of their tissue up into it, the upper poles to act almost like a little implant um, mm -hmm. along with the breast lift. Out. Yeah, to fill it out. That's the sort of things we've been doing um, with that. So I think, yes, I mean, I think we don't know that much about breast implant illness right now. And I think there's a lot that we still need to understand. But I think that, you know, being able to offer other things, both for the patients that have implants currently that want to not have them anymore, um, but also for patients who are looking for breast rejuvenation and would like to avoid implants, we have really powerful things to do. Absolutely. And I think that's just wonderful how you have been able to be flexible and shift your focus, shift what you can offer patients, because that's what they want. They really want a choice yep. and they want to know that you have their best interest at heart. Um, so let's break that down a little bit. Uh, I'd love to talk about just de novo aesthetic breast surgery, procedures designed to enhance the appearance of the breast, whether before or after childbearing. What could be done to create a perky breast without an implant? Well, there's a lot that could be done for a lot of patients, but probably not for every patient. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the major options is, of course, for a lot of patients, is is there some type of breast lifting that could be done? Um, mm-hmm. Some way we could reorganize the breast tissue in a more attractive position, in a more attractive way, put the nipple areolar complex back up on the breast, centralized in the breast with a normal size, and with the volume distribution that's, that's an attractive look to the breast. And we surely can do that in patients. The breast lift itself without something else without an implant or something has always been something that we classically thought did not achieve really good volume in the upper pole of the breast so that sort of deflation that you would see with pregnancy um it was a challenge always with with traditional breast lifting techniques to be able to do something powerful there so long term um we would we would see a failure of our breast lifting or breast reduction techniques as it relates to the upper pole. Because I do believe when you think about droopy breasts, when patients come to see me for droopy breasts, they're talking about one of two things or maybe both. One is loss of volume in just the top of the breast. But if you really look at them, they classically wouldn't be what we call droopy because their breast could still be lying completely above the fold of the breast, but completely droopy to the patient, very deflated. Or droopy means that the breast has now left the chest wall and it's moving down on the abdomen and the nipples are in the wrong position. And that's what we classically would call a droopy breast. So we always have to delineate which of those two things the patient or both that the patients have that we need to fix. The other thing, so so traditional breast lifts have left patients wanting more. That's why we used implants. Today, if patients have enough volume and tissue, I will then take the lower pole of the breast, so the tissue that's underneath the nipple areolar complex, wherever it sits, I then will then make a small flap of tissue, a small piece of that, based on a blood vessel underneath that we call the central pedicle. I will then lift up the breast and I will move that tissue up into the inner upper pole by the cleavage and suture that into place as like it's a little implant. Mm-hmm. Restoring stuck fullness, in the, yeah. Yeah, for the fullness there. Then do a superior-based vertical mastopexy, which means a breast lift um, that uses the parenchyma to shape the breast and controls the shape without having to depend upon the skin envelope because the skin brassiere is highly unpredictable. And I would always say, I never trust the skin to do what I want it to do. Skin stretches. Skin stretches. So reestablishing and reorganizing that breast tissue into the upper pole and then controlling the shape of my breast through a superiorly based type technique that really shapes the parenchyma. The tissue, yeah. The breast tissue, instead of using the skin, is how I achieve more power. And then finally, and these are just in de novo people, people that had never had breast surgery before. Right. And then finally is to, if they need it and um, desire it, is to even consider adding some additional fat grafting um, to the upper pole and to the area of cleavage to achieve an aesthetic result. This can be extremely powerful um, and extremely satisfying to patients. If they can get a breast they love, that feels very natural when they mm-hmm. hug people, et cetera, how the breast moves, but also not to have to concern themselves with the issues related to breast implants over the life of those implants, you know, future ruptures or deflations or capsular contractures of just right. the maintenance and management of a breast implant over time um, can be very powerful. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, know, I like that. And so I think patients like that too. And that's the reason I've just, the more I've done it, there is definitely a subset of patients who they're not a candidate. So patients who fully have deflation of the breast um, and they don't have much tissue and they don't have much droop. It's mostly skin. It's, it's pretty hard to lift a breast in that situation. Yeah. And the challenge of just taking a patient. So if somebody has pretty good breast and they just want some more fullness in a very natural way, we can just do fat grafting without doing a breast lift. But we can only really add maybe a cup size to that breast. Mm-hmm. Their limits. What yeah. fat doesn't do well 
is create core projection. So behind the nipple, it doesn't have a great job of sort of giving projection and pushing that breast out, but it can sort of fill in the sides. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wants the breast to be a little fuller, have a little better cleavage, a little more volume in the top of the breast, but with what I would say is a very natural B, small C cup type of breast, I think fat can do that. Um, beyond that, I think that we have to do something else um, in order to That's achieve a good it. Point. Yeah, so I think that's been one of the challenges with fat alone um, in breasts. But I did one two weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago now, um, who wanted those exact same things. And I must tell you, she's about, I know she's probably a month because I just saw her. She's a month out. I mean, she looks outstanding. She's thrilled with the breast. She even wants them to wow. get be a little smaller, which is great because we know this, that, you know, some of that fat's going to go away over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, shrink a yeah, little bit. Yeah, so, so um, I think that it can be powerful in the right patient as well. That's fantastic. So you're accomplishing augmentation, meaning uh, breast enlargement mm -hmm. to some degree, yes. a limited degree, but you're also accomplishing uh, the mastopexy, the breast lift and reshaping the breast. So without an implant, that's fantastic. Right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the concept of explantation yep. or breast implant removal, particularly those patients who have maybe had them a while, so their tissues are a little stretched out and they want them out for whatever reason. Should they expect that they can have a breast shape restored in terms of volume and shape once the implant is removed? And if so, should they expect that their breast will end up a little smaller? Um, good questions. And I think that, you know, right at the core of that would be the question that patients ask me. Um, can they, if they knew what their breasts looked like before they had their implants, would they expect that their breast would look the same as that after we take the implants out? And the truth of that is usually not. Um, mm -hmm. because the tissues have been so changed, deformed, thinned, um, mm -hmm. muscle lifted often and moved up more superiorly in the breast, so it's not where it used to be. Um, all those things um, potentially would leave them with a breast that looks a little more deflated, a little bit more concave in the middle, um, maybe a little droopier than maybe they had remembered their breast. There's no doubt mm -hmm. when you take an implant out um, over the first two to three months, it does tighten up a little bit, the breast tissue, and it recovers a little bit from some of that damage. So one of the powerful things we can do in explantation procedures, if we're not certain what path to take with that patient reconstructively um, and what they'll be happy with, maybe would they be happy with just an explantation? Something you can do is just simply with a saline implant, deflate the implants and let the tissue recover and see what things look like. With the silicone implant, we just do a small procedure, make a small incision um, under local, pull the implants out, close, Easy enough, and yeah. then let the patient's breast recover over the couple, three, two to three months, and then make an evaluation about what's our path moving forward on what they're gonna be happy that's with. That's a smart idea. Because I think that's the most important, is, is trying to get the patient to know and engage um, in what is. Now, if clearly if somebody has a lot of breast tissue and a lot of droop, then I more confidently can say, hey, we don't need to do that. I know exactly you're going to have to have a breast lift. We might as well do it. Let's use your tissue. And I, in, even in explantation, I do an auto-augmentation technique, which has to be done differently once they've had implants because that old the flap I just talked about before is based on the chest wall, and that has been sacrificed um, when you did the breast implant. So you can't use the same flap, but we do what's called a flip-under flap, and I will actually do the exact same thing and move some of that tissue up into the upper pole um, in an explantation surgery in a very similar way, trying to achieve an improved aesthetics. But uh, Rachel, I'll say it's paramount that when you are gonna explant a patient, either taking the capsule out or not, for just downsizing for somebody who's concerned about breast implant illness or something else, 
um, or capsular contracture or something else, they have to have a sense of what their breasts are going to look like afterwards. Only then can a patient make a good decision um, with you about what their path should be and what they're going to be happy with. I give a ton of lectures on this around the world. It's probably the most commonly requested lecture that I give. It used to be breast lifting with implants, right? Today, right. today it's a different world. It's now. about explantation. It's about fat grafting. Yeah. It's all of those sort of things. All the uh, options related to it, um, you know, related to that. And so one thing I say in that lecture, and I have I have an algorithm for explantation or decision-making, and it starts at the very beginning with, at the end, knowing what the patient will look like afterwards and helping them understand what that is through pictures and through words so that you can start to plan out. Each decision that's made has an impact, whether you take the capsule out or not during the procedure impacts potentially what our options are for reconstruction and what the aesthetic outcomes are. So you have to understand why you're taking capsules out. Is it that important? Is it helpful um, for that? Because in some patients, we may say that, yes, we may want to do fat grafting, but maybe in some patients, it's better to stage that, do some other things, fix things, let things heal, see how things are, and then come back and put fat grafting in as a staged procedure. It doesn't always have to happen at the first operation. You can sort of phase it in to the patient's comfort and to um, make sure you maximize the, the, the potential outcome for the patient. Yeah, that's an excellent point to let a patient kind of live with their early result first, yes. and then they can decide really specifically what they want changed, if they want anything changed. Exactly. Well, I'm curious, with all that's been going on about concerns about breast implants, how common is explantation becoming in your practice? How much more often are you seeing that? Well, it's a ton and it's organic because um, I don't, I mean, I may have something on my website about it, but I don't communicate on blogs. I don't go onto websites or onto social media to promote the concept of explantation. The most I promote it is that I've just lectured about it and written about it, and I have a chapter in my book on it, and people and I have articles in our journals on it, so people find me. It's a funny thing because, you know, in 2018, really when this was sort of blowing up, an article came in our journal, Aesthetic Surgery Journal, that I wrote, that which is called The Safety of Smooth and Textured Silicone Breast Implants. It became a sort of a hallmark, um, very important um, paper about oh breast implant safety. It reviewed all five major FDA core trials on breast implants. Um, and it's it, very notable. And it won paper of the year for the Aesthetic Surgery Journal um, in 2018. So as this all fired up in social media, you can imagine if there was one person identified as a major advocate for breast implants, it was me, right? You know, so, you know, in a way you would think I would become enemy number one um, to them. And I met with some of the organizers of the groups because I am in leadership um, in the country. And I think when patients started to see me, what they learned, which is at the end of the day, I, I may be a breast implant advocate for the right patient, but I'm mostly a patient advocate. Absolutely. And I'm my patient's advocate. I'm their doctor. I am their, I'm the person they can turn to for the truth and without bluster and without false hopes and everything else. I'm there to, to create a reality that's truthful, it's honest, it's with uncertainty often in that discussion. And together, they so appreciate that they realize I'm not trying to oversell them on anything. I'm trying to help them make a decision in what is otherwise, what I think, muddy waters. And there's not clarity always. The only thing I can provide them, maybe that other surgeons can, 
is have having technical experience over many, many years. And in all of these subject matters, whether it be textured implants and removing textured implants because of some of the issues related to the risk of lymphoma, um, which I've chaired that committee for the years, breast implant illness and what we know about the, the literature, which I've published on and lectured a trillion times, um, is I have a good foundational knowledge about the subject matters to talk in a very sort of learned way um, with them about what we know about um, explantation and how they may do with it, and then my technical ability to create a beautiful breast for them. But I think what comes through mostly for my patients is that I care about them, mm-hmm. and I believe them, mm-hmm. and that I will always be honest with them. And I, together with them, whatever path we take, will hope that if they're worried about having sickness from their implants, I'm going to hope that when we do our surgery, they feel way better afterwards and it was a positive thing for them. If they get that from my conversation, they'll understand at the end of the day, I am their advocate. And all patients should search for that physician, that plastic surgeon, who will provide that for them um, in a way you will know it. You will know when you, you have the person in front of you who listens to you and is honest with you. And that's super powerful because these are very emotional times for these patients, both Mm -hmm. because they have concerns of illness, but also because they have concerns for what their breast will look like. And that's scary. And so, you know, so I think that, you know, people should be careful as they choose their plastic surgeon to find that person um, who they think is talented enough to do a good job, but also super honest, super caring, and um, will walk with them through that process. Yeah, that's a great philosophy, your approach to that. Yeah. I think that's perfect. So I do see a ton. You asked the question, do I see a lot more of it? Yes, I do. You see more and more. I get organically. <laughs> I just like, I don't even talk about it. And yet they just come, you know, and you see more and more of them. I think it's fun. I found a place. There's not a day goes by that I don't deal with some explantation patients for many reasons. The other major sure. reason is that I've been in practice 25 years. So I have all these patients I've done. Women's body changes over the years. Their expectations, what they want out of their aesthetic breast um, changes over time. And so I have this this core of so many patients I've done surgery on who will turn to me because now their breasts are bigger than they want them to be. Their priorities are different, sure. Or they've changed, they're droopy again over time. And, And often I will say, I don't really think we need your implants anymore. I think you've got enough of your own breast tissue. Let's make it breast implants a part of your past, not a part of your future. And they love that idea. So it's not always for those reasons. Sometimes it's like they just want to, they want a different aesthetics to their breast. Um, it's been a long, many years since we did the surgery. And so we'll step into it that way. So that's one of the other reasons I see so many patients um, for explantation. Well, now we've talked a, a little bit about using the breast tissue itself to rearrange it, uh, fold it, use flaps, mm-hmm. etc., to try to create some internal structure and bolstering. But let's talk a little bit more about fat grafting itself. Could you briefly explain how it's done and approximately how much fat you think can be placed in one setting? Do you have to stage it to get the amount of fat you're wanting? So fat grafting, as I mentioned, is um, a great adjunct in aesthetic breast surgery, no matter what. Sometimes we even put fat grafting in with a very small breast implant. We call so we put the implant in for core projection, but really we use a lot of a lot of the fat to build the volume and the shape, the cleavage, the upper pole mm-hmm. um, that Help we're the looking transitions. for. Yeah, yeah, the transitions. Because most of the time, many of the complications related to breast implants have to do with putting in large implants implants that go beyond the footprint of the breast, they start to expand the breast, and then the complications increase. So if you can use a small implant and fat grafting, that can be powerful. We call that a composite breast augmentation. Mm -hmm. So a great example of that would be in something, a tuberous breast deformity or a constricted breast deformity, because they're 
footprint of that breast is very narrow and very small, but you can add a little volume with an implant, but then add fat grafting um, to expand upon them. How we do fat grafting is we actually will have to find donor sites on the patient. And that can be almost from anywhere. It could be the abdomen. We've all got that. Yeah, exactly. So the challenging patients are the patients who don't have that, right? Mm -hmm. And you ask about staging, and we'll get to that. But in staging, one of my major indications for staging is if fat is precious, meaning there's not that much extra fat on them, I need to use it in a very reliable way. So I want mm -hmm. the best setting to use that very precious fat. If somebody has plenty of fat, I may right off the bat offer it. So in fat grafting, what we do is we have to find a place to take it from. Um, and patients kind of like that often because they're thrilled to have their waistline narrowed down sure. while they do it. And so it's kind of an added sort of aesthetic element to it. And then we have to put numbing medicine in it, fluid in it, and we then collect it. I believe in the, and when we're doing fat grafting to the breast, we should do something more than just collect it and place it. I really do. The more I've done this over the years, we should process the fat a little bit, clean it up, clean the oils out of it. And there's many systems available to do that, although they cost a little bit of extra money. I think we should put the cleanest fat in patients we can. And so I do three rinses of my fat and everything else. We spin it down a little bit, let it settle a little bit to get as pure a fat. You then take the fat and very slowly you place it into the breast, into the areas you're interested in, spreading it around. Injected usually. Yeah, injecting it in through little tiny incisions. Um, and you have these usually collected in syringes. And then you slowly build up the breast into those areas that you want to, uh, putting it in. We expect a minimum of 50% of the fat to survive um, that we put in. But I think if you process it well, it can easily be 70 or 75% of the mm. fat. But of course, it depends on how much you've dried it. If you put in a lot of wet fat, well, that fluid's going to go away. And it's going to seem like you only got 50 or 60%, right. but you were putting in fat with some fluid. So you have to mm -hmm. look at that. But if you really clean it up and really know what you're putting in, then I think it's going to be 70 or 75%. And I'm doing we're just starting now a clinical trial on that with a certain device um, to look at that. So um, I'll give you more information in the future Great. about that. Love it. Um, but, I, but, but it's that. It's not 100%. I would say mm -hmm. always more 50% or more is saved in fat grafting. And remembering that fat is used a lot with other techniques, whether it's with breast implants, with breast lifting, with anything else, to add to help with coverage of implants, wrinkling, add more volume to the upper pole, and occasionally it's done as a standalone procedure to, um, to add volume. And what do you tell patients about expectations if they have fluctuations in their overall weight? You know, fat, as they say, fat is fat is fat is fat. And if it survives, <laughs> right. it now becomes a little storage machine yeah. for extra calories and fat, just like anywhere else. So just like when women go through menopause, sometimes their breasts get larger because the breasts are more fat-filled at that point in time, and the weight goes up a little bit. They see the breasts start to um, grow much larger than they had been prior to menopause. The same thing's here with fat. If you put a fat grafting in your breast, it's not parenchyma or breast tissue anymore. It is fat, and it will act like fat. So if they have weight gain, they will see their breasts get fuller. On the same token, if they lose a bunch of weight... And, you know, so some of my patients will say, oh, you need fat. I'm going to go ahead and gain a bunch of weight so you have fat to put in your, my breast. And then I'll lose weight afterwards. I go, well, if you lose weight afterwards, <laughs> you're going to lose the volume I put in your breast. So that, be a problem. that strategy isn't actually going to work um, because yeah. of that. So, yeah, so they're, they're going to have fluctuations in their breast size based upon their weight. Of course. And then do you find a big difference in downtime between aesthetic breast patients who've had an implant placed versus those without? Well, no, not not generally. I mean, I think, you know, occasionally we would tell a patient that, you know, actually breast augmentation, if, especially if we're going under the muscle, can be 
a pretty uncomfortable situation. A lot of muscle spasms. So it's very tight. You know, the description of like an elephant on the chest feeling of it. Yeah. Whereas like a breast reduction or a breast lift and we're not doing that can actually be um, less uncomfortable afterwards. I think the trajectory of their healing is pretty similar. Yeah, how much they bruise, how much they swell, um, how long till they can go back to activity, etc. But in that initial period of time, I find breast lifting and stuff is less painful than it is with the placement of breast implants if we're going under the muscle. If we're going on top of the muscle, I don't believe it um, changes it that much. Makes sense. Um, and what about the overall response of your patients to breast rejuvenation without an implant? Have you ever had a patient come back and say, hey, I think I really do need an implant? Are most people pretty satisfied that, hey, this was exactly what I wanted? Yeah, I would say as it relates in a primary case, meaning they the first time they ever do anything and we take this, I don't have anybody ever come back and want to do something else Wonderful. for that. We always have the option and we haven't burned a bridge, we say, unless we're planning it from the get-go. There are patients who I will do a staged mastopexy augmentation, meaning we do the breast lift first, six months to a year later, we come back and place an implant. That's our plan. They tell me they want to have a really rounded, fake-looking upper pole, et cetera. You know, that person. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. going to be an implant, and we're going to plan it. But for the people who are trying to avoid implants, I've never had a patient come back and want to do something more um, for that situation. In the explantation patient, I have. I just did one where ultimately um, both people that just have their implants removed and, and take a break to see what they want, but also patients who maybe want to try to do a breast lift or fat graphing and not use an implant and then come back and go, you know, I think that I like that volume with the implant, you know, and I, I think I want to put at least a small implant back in, you know, then they can do that for sure. But it's way less than 5%. I mean, it's rare. It's just, I can think of a couple people I've ever done that on, but yes, mm -hmm. they should have, and they know that we haven't burned a bridge. Mm -hmm. We can always go back later and put an implant back in. We want to give them the best chance to not have to use an implant. But I also want my patients to feel beautiful. I want them to feel complete. And yes. I want them to not be fearful of their chest and their breast and stuff. And so that's what's so important about my partnership with them is because I'm always there for them. And I ultrasound my patients in the office like Pat McGuire does, as you've talked to before. Yes, that's really nice. So we yeah. have that there to walk through with them. They're not on their own trying to figure this out. And I think they feel more confident stepping into whatever road they go down, um, knowing that I'm going to go and manage it with them um, and walk with them um, for that forever. And so I think that gives them some peace of mind. That's excellent. Well, you know, throughout the course of your practice and mine as well, my former practice, you know, we have seen many advances in breast rejuvenation. But what do you see on the horizon? Do you see any further advances that are just not quite here yet? Mm -hmm. um, or is there anything you would like to see being pursued or developed? Well, I think one of the challenges, what's really popular in aesthetic surgery these days is the concept of stem cells, et cetera, right? And even fat yes. has some level of stem cells in it. But we're very cautious about stimulatory products in the breast because the concept is always that you may be stimulating a breast cancer right. um, in those areas. So I think compared to other places in the body, facial rejuvenation, et cetera, we're going to be very slow to lead, go down paths like that. But I will give you one little little one that's being developed right now and I think it's kind of interesting and, and you'll probably be the first time maybe all your listeners would even hear about it. I use a lot of soft tissue support. Um, and we would mean by that would be meshes, skins from humans or pigs, grafts that we place to support tissue in the breast when we're doing breast lifts or implants, etc. The meshes that I use, P4HB, which is called poly-4-hydroxybutyrate, or Durazorb, which is a PDO, and Galatea. There's all these different meshes. The nice thing about these meshes is they go away 
um, at a year or two. So they don't stay forever, but they give you the support. Like I said, I don't trust skin, so I like to have that support. So it's like an internal sling, if you will. It's an internal bra, internal sling. Super powerful. It's probably the second most common thing I'm asked to talk about around the world because it's new to everybody else. I've been using it for so many years. I use it. I did two or three cases yesterday using wow. mesh on all of them. So it's becoming a more mainstay. That's fine. But that usually involves breast lifting, breast implants, other things with it. And I'm supporting the skin in that process. But here's the secret. They are developing, and it's actually some surgeons have been developing and working and doing it, where you they have developing, because of 3D printing, developing 3D breast shape meshes of these meshes. They have a three-dimensional architecture to them almost like a tree if you would think a little meshy tree mm -hmm. with projection etc not just a flat piece but in 3d you place it in the breast and then you fat graft in it because i told you fat doesn't mm -hmm. give core projection but with the placement of mesh and then placing fat into it it's been in the initial stuff super powerful and for whatever reason that we don't quite understand the fat seems to take in those areas and actually maintain and then it gets into that supportive structure um, for it. So I think that, you know, the idea of 3D printing um, meshes that will be temporary meshes, create an architecture and projection with the addition of fat grafting in that um, for those patients who have some fat that they could put in their breast, it may be a new powerful thing that was not that far in the future. And by that, I mean in the next year or two, mm -hmm. like quick. So that's a little secret one. Impressive. Is the uh, 3D printing customized to the patient's size or is it a standard? That maybe someday, you know, like we used to use the melages and you would do the scanning and, and be able to do those those custom implants and custom things for people with chest wall problems. And I'm, that could come because 3D printing is so easy in a way to mm -hmm. do that. But in general, I think initially it's going to be kind of like breast implants in a way, some different sizes can be placed, you know, both in projection and in dimensions. Um, that you would place into the breast already prefabricated type pieces that you would do, um, which would make it more cost effective um, for patients as it relates to that. Makes sense. Well, I'll tell you, we've had such a, an informative discussion here. Thank you so <laughs> much for that. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with regarding breast procedures, uh, possibilities without an implant? Yeah, you know, I think that I think a couple things. One is that, you know, for, for all women, you know, the, your body changes, you know, and and, and, and that's just the reality. And, and your life changes and we change over time. And so the concept that maybe breast implants were a good decision for the patient at some point in time in their life may no longer be a good decision for them. And there are other ways to do that. So patients should, you know, feel comfortable about that and not feel like having a breast augmentation was a failure, but it had its place in time in their life, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to always have a place in time in their life. And so I try to share that with my patients all the time that, you know, I'm an advocate for them. And if they don't like their breast and they're not happy with their implants, or they're not happy with the overall breast shape because of pregnancy or whatever. And if they've had complications from breast surgery, no, they shouldn't give up. No patient should just accept sub-satisfactory outcomes on their breasts because I think patients sometimes think well I don't really like my breasts but my surgeon said that's as good as it can be or that's all mm -hmm. I could do I think that you know if it really is bothering them they should make sure and get more consultations start to learn more about what the options are so they can live their full life in their best life you know feeling really proud and comfortable we have so many abilities and techniques and things to do um, with breast surgery um, that are well, probably beyond some surgeons' abilities to actually do or they don't do enough breast surgery to know that. So I just want patients to know there's 
always surgeons out there who are really up on all of these great techniques, partner with them to really help them get the, um, you know, the best results. And it really starts with that relationship with that surgeon, um, trusting them, knowing they care about you, and they're going to be honest with you mm -hmm. um, and achieve the best results for you. That's the best. Find your patient advocate out there that's a plastic surgeon um, and help let them help you, you know, live your best life um, through um, improvement in your breast shape. That is great information. Thank you. Well, Dr. Bradley Calabrese, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us today. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something, too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.